0: The Earth would probably like it's to have a law with you live session when it comes to the not at all gambling involving the children. So, you know, and yeah. one notable fight against this epic games was forced to pay hundreds of million dollars in fines for this. So, you know. It's it's, it's been a problem. Yeah, let's wrap this up. Thus, that brings us to the end of the latest of a saga of cases involving video game companies with the loot boxes, which is not at all gambling, even though it's totally gambling in every possible way. And they've also been sued over this every time for many, many years. Nintendo, like many companies, has abandoned the practice because, you know, it faced a lot of scrutiny and a lot of concern. And also other regulators in other countries have taken a look at it, and it's been a problem. So, yeah... But they're still being sued over the time when they did this, you know, and exploited the children. So how will this particular lawsuit go? Who knows? But it's the latest in a series of things, so going super well. And that brings to the end of discussion of this story. What should we do? What should we do? I think we should push the button. Yeah. Push the button, baby. Push the button. All right. Turn around, every now and again, I get a little. Leave me in a minute, I'm gonna turn around, every now and again, I get a little. And me the look of my eyes turned red, red eyes. Every now and again I fell <laughs> apart. And I need you more tonight. And I need you more than ever. And then in the night, the top of the clips of the heart. He said to walk like a man, walk like a man, walk uh-huh. like a man, my son. No uh-huh. woman's worth, <laughs> woman on the earth, but walk like a man, my son. Uh-huh. Wee, 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 wee. Walk, 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 walk. <laughs> <laughs> I love you all. I love is like a shadow on you. Okay. I hope that's a good thing. A federal judge has thrown out a lawsuit as it relates to rent control measures to the city of St. Paul. So several places in the United States put in place a rent control measure <laughs> on how much a business is allowed to increase rent on property. So typically, these laws will, if, to the extent they exist, which they don't necessarily exist everywhere, but to the extent they do, they might forbid a place from raising rent at more than a set percentage. So the most you can raise the rent is some um, percent that's fixed by law. Of course, in some places, the rent is fixed at a permanent price. Like in New York, for example, where they're basically fixed. And if you get one of those rent control departments, it's really, really nice because the price is way cheap compared to what it should be. So the city of St. Paul has put in place measures that are like this. And there was a lawsuit claiming that this was illegal. But a federal judge has thrown out the lawsuit. So let's law learn a little bit more session. about what is going on in St. Paul. The federal judge threw out the lawsuit against the city of St. Paul, followed by the apartment owners who claimed that the rent control measure was akin to taking property. So you have taken our property, but probably no. In the relevant law right so this is just a mere regulation dealing with property not taking a property so the typical way that this is done but of course not exclusively one of the hallmarks you lose use when you're thinking about a regulation that impacts property is whether it deprives the property of all reasonable lawful use so as long as it doesn't deprive the property owner of continuing to do the thing that they would normally do with the property it's fine So, for example, yes, we can, you know, mandate that you install, like, phone lines or cable or, you know, electricity or stuff because it won't prohibit you from doing, you know, the thing you would do on your land. You just have to do it this way, right? So, the standard, one of the standards we look to is whether or not the regulation deprives you of all reasonable commercial use, which, of course, would depend on the nature of the property in question. So, this rent control probably does not rise to that level. That's where the idea. U.S. District Judge filed the judgment. They closed the lawsuit. They denied the plaintiff's request for summary judgment or a final ruling without trial, which of course granted by requesting judgment for the city because it's a straight issue of law, right? No one really disagrees on the facts here. They don't disagree on the facts of the way this matters. So there's nothing for a jury to do. And it's just a straight question of law. Given these facts, who wins? St. Paul approved the city's rent control ordinance in November, 2021. By a voter referendum. The three percent cap on annual increase is considered at the time one of the strictest rent controls in the nation, was amended last September, exempting affordable housing as well as new construction for 20 years. So you don't have a, you can you can have uncapped if it's new construction, it can be uncapped for affordable housing because that's already regulated in a different way for affordable housing. But otherwise for existing properties, no more than three percent a year which is, you know, basically inflation. I mean, you know, on a historic trend, you know, inflation rates at the moment, maybe not 3%, but in a historic way, 3% is just basically above inflation rate. So keeping it basically to the, the price, which also incidentally does nothing to deal with differences of demand, right? So yeah, it might be reasonable to cap it out at that if there's no change in demand, but of course there's a change in demand. And so you're fixing the price lower supply but that's what st paul wanted to do the relevant company that sued was an apartment building and they're not happy about this because they'd like to have rates that can fluctuate more wildly the judge's opinion found little substance in the claims which argued that the three percent voter approved initiative would reduce property value and lead to less investment which maybe it will that's not necessarily enough in and of itself. Plants contending the amended ordinance will not work and not meet its objectives may be true, but poor policy is not a due process violation. So again, what they are trying to do, what will happen, you know, are possibly disparate. But just because what will happen is not what you expected to happen, is not what makes the law illegal. So are they correct? that these laws will be ultimately counterproductive and not accomplish the objective? Maybe, and if they are, maybe they will need to amend the law. But you know, just because it will wind up being a bad choice doesn't preclude you from making a choice. You are free to make bad choices. And my prediction, this is a bad choice for you, does not deprive you of your freedom, including if you're a city. So the mere fact it won't work out, even if true, not enough. Judge pointed out the city had crafted a way to seek rent increases of up to 8%, so they even have a way to get past this limit through a process. Judge noted that unlike a 1976 case in Berkeley, St. Paul had granted most of the exemptions, without even a public hearing. volume of appeals has also been low. Out of 152 applications, there are only five appeals. So in other places that had a process to allow or exemptions they didn't really allow them, but in this case they do. Though so they allow them much more freely, so there is more process available to get redress if for whatever reason you need it. So, if you have an as applied reason, you can go up to 8%. And they grant them much more freely. So, you don't even have an as applied challenge going on, so they thought to solve that problem. As for allegations that violates the Contracts Clause of the Constitution, Judge noting the Contracts Clause, I'm sure, is dead, but also noting it is moot, given that the apartment building has been exempt from rent control. So does this violate the Contracts Clause? No, because you're not bound by the law in the first place. Also, the Contracts Clause is dead. Justice Thomas would like to revive it, but it's dead. So, The judge was also not swayed by arguments that limiting landlord rents amounts to government taking money away from them in two different ways, both cash on hand and resale value of the property. No. Sorry. Like all regulations, it might impact the value of the land because the regulations might make the property more or less attractive. Right? The city could pass regulations in a way that makes the land more attractive. I'm assuming you'd be really happy about that, but they can also pass regulations in a way that makes the property less attractive. But again, unless it's a complete taking, And by complete taking, we mean deprives of all lawful legal use. So unless they're condemning part of the property, depriving you of all property use, the fact that they change the regulations in a way that makes the property less attractive, well, that is not a taking. Sorry and all, but the city gets to pass its regulations. So, yeah, that's just the way it goes. Going to press it for rent control across the nation, the judge noted that the housing market is highly regulated and courts have long held comparable regulations policies are constitutional because they are. Because again, it's not a complete taking. It's not a, it's not a complete deprivation of property. So as long as it's as long as it's reasonable, and they allow for exemptions for the as applied, and they actually grant the exemptions, sounds like we're on pretty good legal footing to me. The Judge adding, quoting relevant case law, that in rent control contexts, the Supreme Court has consistently held, states have broad power to regulate housing conditions and the landlord-tenant relationship without paying compensation for economic injuries that such regulations entertains. Yeah, pretty much, again, this is just what we call a regulatory taking, all right? This is just a regulatory taking. You can pass the regulations, it's fine, as long as it doesn't deprive of all lawful or all reasonable commercial use. So as long as you can continue doing your thing, you're fine. You want to rent property, You want to build an apartment complex on a property that people will be able to rent. And you still build the apartment complex and people can rent from them? Yes, you can. You can still do that. So you've not been deprived of all reasonable commercial use. The fact that it's slightly less attractive, well, that doesn't count. A go away. that brings us to the end of this case against St. Paul where St. Paul by a voter initiative put in place a 3% rent hike cap for existing properties but also allowed for properties to go up to 8% if they can show a need and basically grants them almost pro forma so it's not really a problem and they do this. Now the, the apartment complexes would probably like to go beyond 8% they'd like to increase the rent even more than that You know, they'd like to be able to charge whatever rent strikes their fancy The court looking at this to be like, well, I'm glad you want those things. Those sound like good things to want, but the city of St. Paul says no. The city of St. Paul can make that choice. This is a regulatory taking. You're still allowed to have the apartment complex. You're still allowed to have people rent from them. So you still can do with your land the same thing you could before. So everything's fine. It's less attractive for me. Well, I'm sorry about that, but that doesn't count. And the case law is clear on this point. So the judge throwing it out is completely not a surprise in this light, and that brings us to the end of discussion of this case. <laughs> is Artie here? Hello? This is pro forma, by form means automatic. I wrote. Proforma just means automatically. Standard. Wrote. Customary. That kind of thing. It's really infectious how much you love what you're doing. Thank you. I really do love what I'm doing. I love this shit. I love this shit very, very much. I love this shit very, very much. I love that it lets me learn new law. I love that I get to talk about law. I love that I get to explain the principles. I love that I get to teach. Kick sets. Look at me. Look at me, I'm a happy uncivil law man. Look at how happy I am a happy uncivil law this is great I love my life this is great shit Mr. Sun came up, and he smiled at me. Said, it's gonna be a good one, just wait and see. Jumped out of bed, and I ran outside, feeling so estressified. It's the best day ever, best day ever, best day ever, best day ever. All right. Outstanding. Have I seen Studio C skits? Yes, I've seen some of the Studio C skits. They're cool. Yeah, this is, what, this is what I like. Yeah, this is true. My singing is so bad it won't get content ID'd. I like to think that my singing is so bad it can't even be identified as the original work. So it isn't even copyright infringement. I have so mutilated the original work it can't even be identified anymore. So it's not, it's not, it's a fair use. It's transformative, it's really transformative. Oh my God. Did I push the button? If not, I'll push it again. It doesn't matter. Alright. In drag show news, Florida is facing this issue as there's been a lawsuit filed by a restaurant that would like to do the drag shows. So there's been an issue on the drag shows as it relates to kids, as it relates to generally, and we get into these conflicts as it relates to the First Amendment. Now, What is notable, of course, is as it relates to curient kinds of performances, one that involves an appeal to our baser instincts, the state has long had the ability to regulate shops and places that appeal to these instincts, particularly as they appeal to them in greater and more overt ways. So particular kinds of businesses that appeal to these base desires can be regulated as to who can come into them, where they can be, what hours they can operate, and so forth and so on. So we get into this sort of question, as it relates to a drag show. You know, what sort of part of the continuum are we on, on that issue? As it relates to this, can we ban them outright? Can we regulate where they're occurred? Which parts of the town. Can we regulate their times? Can we regulate the ages of the people? We get into these kinds of questions, as it relates to these more base instinct, potentially appealing entertainment shows. So how does that relate to this Florida law? Let's get started with this. A popular Orlando restaurant that features drag shows filed a lawsuit against Florida less than a week after Florida signed a bill that targets the drag performances. So, you know, bringing that conflict right to a head. Florida passes law that deals with the drag performances. Is this lawful? Could be. Maybe. Depends on the details. We'll see. Lawsuit filed in Orlando court by the owners of Hamburger Mary's claims the state is depriving its First Amendment right of free expression, which you know is obviously the issue at hand, and our ability to regulate that expression, of course, depends on the details, time, place, manner. For example, is it and as it appeals to uh, things that might uh, reach towards and potentially actually meet the potentially obscene, the state's ability to regulate that within the First Amendment context becomes more and more justified. So that is sort of the issue that's in play. Asantis made the legislation a part of his agenda, he signed the bill restricting the drag performances, along with bills that ban gender affirming care, which gets into the ability of states to regulate medicine, in which they have broad authority in general, of course, strict discussions of personal pronouns in schools, which to the extent we are doing that to our teachers is probably lawful because they are state employees and we're regulating ourselves, and force people to use certain bathrooms, which again raises a bunch of legal issues. So there are a whole bunch of issues here that they are doing. Some of this may be lawful. Some of it may not be lawful. It depends on the details. It depends on how expansive what they're doing is. It depends on who the law applies to. If it applies to the government or governmental employees, probably lawful. If it applies to private citizens, more concerning as it relates to um, charged speech, it relates to baser instincts, the more that it appeals to that, the more it can be regulated. So, like many things, it depends on the details. Hamburger Mary's Bar and Grill As a dozen locations in the United States, according to the lawsuit, he hosted a family-friendly drag show. And incidentally, and not for nothing, I have seen, as I'm sure many of you have seen, some TikToks from shows that were were advertised as family-friendly. And uh, in many cases, I would have to respectfully dispute the label, assuming that there is such a thing as a family-friendly drag show, assuming that exists in principle. Uh, Many of the shows I have seen have uh, been somewhat provocative, and uh, question that label. So yeah, Uh, this Florida law would force them to ban children from the showings. Which, again, possibly is legal. Because again, we're thinking about this as it might apply to other charged performances in other kinds of industries and shops and bars and clubs and appeal to those kinds of things. So can we ban the under 18 year olds? Sure we can. We do it all the time. Can we ban the children from these kinds of shows? Maybe, maybe we can, maybe that's the same thing. Is that the same thing? Is it a different thing? How family friendly are these shows? First Amendment details are questionable. Opponents of the legislation say the law is meant to keep children from viewing the explicit performances, which, you know, we do as a matter of law in other domains. So, here's that. Lawyers for the business argue the law is so broad, it could apply to almost any performance that involves a man dressing up like a woman, even if the performance isn't base in its nature. So, maybe. But then again, maybe that's an as-applied challenge for the details, as opposed to a facial challenge. Uh, maybe. Lawsuit says business owners can't risk having their licenses suspended or risk the criminal prosecution for, you know, the treatment of minors, which, you know, is often uh, a problem when you have dereliction of a minor promoting the dereliction of a minor. Um, yeah, that raises a problem. So, they'd like to have the drag shows, and they're not allowed to have the drag shows. They're not allowed to have men dress up like women, even if they're not Appealing to base instincts. So, okay. Governor's office didn't immediately respond to the message seeking comment for the lawsuit. But you know, it's all very complicated. Not all drag performances or performances are sexually explicit. Um. Yeah. But that brings us to the end of the coverage of this place that serves hamburgers, which also wants to do drag shows. I'm not quite sure how hamburgers and drag shows necessarily go to each other, but that's what they'd like to do. The state of Florida says not so much as it relates to the children, and they have filed a lawsuit claiming First Amendment protection. So this is going to depend a lot on the details, of course. It will depend on the nature of the law and how it's written, as we're thinking about a facial challenge. And also thinking about exactly what this restaurant wants to do as we're thinking about a facial challenge. But, of course, as we appeal more and more to the baser instincts of humanity, we know that we can regulate that because we do that for certain clubs and certain stores that specialize in that domain where we can regulate where, where their businesses are located. We can regulate who they let in the door. We can regulate how they're conducted and so forth and so on. So where on the continuum are we as it relates to this is not immediately clear. But Florida is trying to do this. We'll see how it all pans out. That for the moment brings us to the end of discussion of this case. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabethan Shakespeare could be qualified as drag. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I don't know what they did in terms of costuming back then, but could be.
1: arguing they and removed from office for unconstitutional
0: At Dolly Parton lost a drag show for a lookalike contest. Yeah, that also happened to um uh, who did that happen to um was it the silent movie star with the mustache? Uh, kind of Hitler mustache. Uh, where he went to a look alike contest and also lost. Yeah, that happened that's happened a couple times where like the guy got until showed up and lo- lose their own look alike contest. Chaplin? Yeah, I think it was Chaplin. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that happened to Charlie Chaplin too injunction grant for pistol brace cases for the plaintiff only. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. In transgender news, the great state of Montana has passed a law that defines sex as binary. So, whatever might be true of gender, we are trying to say that binary is male and female, and that's all. So, we
1: signed this into law.
0: So we are continuing this issue on the issue of gender and issue of sex, and we have solved this law by saying it's male and female and that's it. Which I'm sure will solve the issue right up. Let's read more about this story. The governor's office announced Saturday, the governor signed into law a bill that inserts binary reproductive language of male, female, as it relates to sex in dozens of parts of the state code. The final version of the law, Although heavily dated, debated, as one would do in the legislative session, distinguishes male and female by the presence of XY or XX in the production of sperm and elves under normal development. So, not clear if the law contemplates things other than XX or XY, but it says that it's XX and XY, which
1: Chism.
0: Leaves some people a little bit out in the cold. Because there is occasionally things other than XX or XY. So, not sure if we're dealing with that issue or not. So, okay. and human beings are exactly two sexes male and female two corresponding types of gametes sexes are determined by biological and genetic indication of male or female including sex chromosomes naturally occurring sex chromosomes, gonads, and non-ambiguous internal-external genealogy present at birth, which, again, in some cases is not as non-ambiguous as it might be. I mean, it's relatively rare. It's very rare, but it does occasionally happen. Diana, how, so, you can know, how be are mitigated. you dealing with this?
1: One's right to do the non XX and, and
0: non XY. It makes you
1: happy.
0: Where, where are they in this equation? I don't know. An amendment added to the bill late in the session states the definitions include people who would otherwise fall within the definition, but for a biological or genetic condition. I don't know what that means I don't know any, I don't even know what that means so like you're defining it as being that even though if you have a genetic condition so does that mean that xxy would otherwise fall into xy Is that what that means does xxy otherwise fall into xy or otherwise fall into xx I don't 100% know so that phrasing leaves a little bit something to be desired to be honest, uh, you know, probably a better way to go about this if you want to go down this road is simply say XY and everything else, which is perhaps not ideal, but at least includes every possible category. So you're shoving everyone who's not XY into female, which, you know, may lead to its own problems. But At least you've defined the entire class of possibilities, so that's nice here we're leaving it more ambiguous, seems problematic. The bill, which was drafted in part by the Montana Family Foundation, passed through the legislation earlier this year among party lines, as one would expect. The bill's sponsor framed it as a policy responding to transgender issues, saying it will help to ensure Montana law Residents are based on biological birth. So the Montana legislature are trying to deal with some of this issue as a matter of state law, but not clear how well it deals with it. That brings us to the end of the case for the moment of the Montana legislature, which has attempted to deal with the transgender issue by saying there's male and female based on XX and XY, and everyone else who would be XXXY but for their condition are assigned to their respective category. I'm not 100% sure what that means, but they're trying to deal with this issue. So I'm sure this will be challenged in many, many ways. But looking at this issue as we try to figure out some of these issues, and that for the moment brings us to the end of discussion. Of this story. Push the button. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I just read that bill, so I don't really do that. Okay, we got Florida man. We've reached our end, and we've reached Florida Man.
1: Huh.
0: There's a rise in people identifying as trans. That's not debatable. There's a rise in people. Sharp rise. today's Florida Man story, we turn our attention to a St. Petersburg man who wanted to have a turtle friend, which is understandable. Turtles are cool. You would like to have a turtle friend? I might like to have a turtle friend. Sounds like fun. Unfortunately, we acquired our turtles by stealing them. And we also stole some rare books along the way. So, you know, not a great way of acquiring the turtles by the theft. So please don't do that. Let's learn more about Turtle Thief. Uh-huh. Two endangered Galapagos tortoises Some rare books and comic books But missing mm-hmm. from various locations around Florida
1: mm-hmm.
0: So we are stealing Maybe the tortoises like comics? I don't know Are tortoises known for their love of comics? Mm-hmm. Is there a tortoise-turtle divide When it comes to Marvel versus DC? Are tortoises more Marvel? Mm-hmm. And turtles more DC? Is that why they're different? Is that why they can't get along? I have questions. On Tuesday, a couple was arrested after police determined that the items on eBay were the stolen items. So the police, not being stupid, look to things like Craigslist and eBay and pawn shops and stuff to see if the stolen items turn up. We can't help noticing these items turned up on the eBay's that you were selling. Kind of gives us a clue. Um, and we found that you had some other things at your house, including reptiles. So, you know, okay. Joshua McCarty Thomas, who was 46, was taken into custody after Detective searched the search warrant at his home discovered one of the missing tortoises dead in a freezer
1: Aww. and another
0: alive at the yard. So unclear why the tortoise was dead in the freezer. Was he planning on eating it? Was he preserving it? That die of natural causes, and he just couldn't bring himself to get rid of Tortoise Friend. Was he keeping it in his freezer as a way to keep that last bit of bond with his <laughs> loved tortoise, or was oh, it for tortoise. tortoise soup? Was it for tortoise soup? Is soup time, glorious time for you and me when it comes to the tortoises. I need to know. <laughs> According to the State of Florida database, Shashi McCarty-Thomas is employed by the Department of Corrections as a correctional officer. So, you know, we are spending our time around criminals, and maybe we met fence during our time. As the Department of Corrections officials, we, we learned about fences, and we think that this fence has taught us about the magic of fencing comic books the rare bucks and the tortoises. These are the things we're fencing, maybe. Maybe that's what we're doing. We learned the criminal trade from the best, but now we will unfortunately join them behind bars. Exciting. Uh. Apparently, this person was dismissed during their time as a trainee. So, they didn't make it very far to the Department of Corrections, maybe because they let it slip. They're really here just for the tortoises, unclear. The juvenile tortoises had microchip implants. (laughs) So fish and wildlife over here scanned the chips and said we can't help noticing that these tortoises were registered at St. Augustine Alligator Farm, Zoological Park. (laughs) So the tortoises have been tagged. They've got low jacks. And we've we've checked the tag and we can't help noticing They were registered at a zoo. (laughs) You're not supposed to steal the tortoises from the zoo. (laughs) Also, just purely practically, how? How did you steal the tortoises from the zoo? Seriously, I want to know. Did you do it daylight hours and somehow keep the tortoises under your arm and no one noticed? Did you have a backpack? Did you sneak in after hours and break into the tortoise cage? How did you do this? I need to know. How do you jack a tortoise from a zoo? I have questions. <laughs> Each of the tortoises is worth about $10,000. So some grand theft charges coming down your way. Holy Fun shit. and exciting. In a Facebook post announcing the theft, the zoo said the tortoises had been there since 2017 as part of a captive breeding program. Rural reptiles required a special diet and supplements. Not clear if tortoise thief was also giving the diet and supplements. Maybe that's why the tortoise died and was in the freezer. Didn't get his supplements, didn't get his protein powder. (laughs) No, I really understand, that is a bummer. Tortoises can weigh up to 600 pounds and can live for 150 years. They are a long living friend. St. Petersburg police say that the people involved also face commercial burglary charges in connection to rare book theft committed at two businesses. Awesome's Bookstore, and Lighthouse Books. In each of the cases, the book said to be stolen for thousands of dollars. Whoa. So maybe we are a very high-end thief for offense, trying to supply some very eccentric clientele. They're doing an Ocean's Eleven over here, and what they really want is the tortoises. Okay. An arrest affidavit for Joshua also listed Dashi, the former corrections official, as co-defendants, stating that the Boston American newspaper collection was among the stolen items. The MO of the burglary matches that of other burglaries, including that of a potential lockpick. Unclear if lockpicking lawyer is involved in this story. Lockpicking lawyer may be involved unclear. The collection was sold on May 7th on an eBay account that was called You Can Never Have Too Much Awesome. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a great eBay account name. Mm
1: -hmm. I never got
0: that clever. You can never have too much awesome. Well, it turns out you can have too much awesome, particularly (laughs) if the awesome is acquired through less than legal means.
1: (laughs) So, uh,
0: Yeah. Pictured here are a forensic technician with the Saint Ber- Petersburg Police Department, which is carrying the bottle, the body of the tortoise in a brown paper bag. Aww. Wow, that's a hell of an image. Forensic technician is carrying the tortoise in a brown bag away from the home. Wow. Going to redo that and redo it as an outro. That's good shit. Plus, that brings us to the end of the case of the stolen tortoise, which is actually pictured here in this photograph. As the forensic technician with the police department removes the dead tortoise from the home in a brown paper bag, presumably to protect the tortoise's dignity and not <laughs> let its body be exposed to all the cameras. This is so great. He got the forensic technician over here, removing tortoise body. Unclear if there will be an autopsy performed on the tortoise figure out a cause of death. Unclear if the tortoise was killed through illicit means. Was the tortoise given a good life? Did it die happy? Was it happy in its new home? Who wanted the tortoises and why? Why are we getting these things? So many questions left
1: unsolved in this Florida man mystery.
0: for the moment brings us the end of discussion of that case well my friends (laughs) we have reached the end of the story the end of the stream we got a lot of good stories today we got so many good stories today too many good stories we have too many good stories how are we going to get all these stories out there's just too much good shit happening too much shit happening how do we release it all? I don't know. Like, do we go to four stories a day? Do we go to five stories a day? What the hell are we doing over here on uncivil law? Holy shit! <laughs> we are producing so much content. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> producing more content there, I, at this point we might be producing more content than all of LawTube combined mm-hmm. I don't know that for sure but we're probably close hmm huh. So, we are uh, definitely setting the trend over here. Though I don't know what we'll do going forward in terms of that. Well, I've got editing to do and stuff. So, I've got to do... First, I should probably go to the gym. If I don't, I probably won't do it. The first thing I have to do is I have to go to the gym. Then I have to, well, yes, I have enough time. Then I have to, because I have the stories posted for one, I just need the story posted for four. So I have enough time to do that. So I need to go to the gym, then I need to come back and I need to post the stories for four and seven. Then I need to edit the content for today. Then maybe I can do Zelda. I need to do those things. We'll see how it goes. And uh, go from there.
1: Right. Great depression. Herculaneum, a fate worse than Pompeii. On the August the 24th, 79 the A.D.
2: began just like any other day in the ancient Roman town of Herculaneum. Citizens met in the town square, discussed a little Italian politics, talked business over lavish lunches. Herculaneum was a booming seaside town at the height of the Roman Empire. Trade was good. The future looked bright. But the clock was ticking for the citizens of Herculaneum. They didn't know it, but their beautiful town lay in the shadow of an active volcano,
3: Mount Vesuvius. The inhabitants had absolutely no idea of the destructive power of the volcano. They had no idea of the degree of the danger. In 79
2: AD, Vesuvius burst spectacularly to life. The town was buried alive. Digging deep into the volcanic debris, archaeologists are slowly uncovering Herculaneum secrets. Discovering the tunnels of ancient tomb raiders who plundered the site. And from remarkable human remains that lay buried for 2,000 years, They are finally unraveling the mystery of what happened to the people in the town's last few tragic hours. Bay of Naples, the most unstable volcanic region in the Mediterranean. Vesuvius is at its heart. In 79 AD, it famously wiped out the Roman town of Pompeii. But there was a lesser known victim, Herculaneum. Only now is this lost town being brought back to life. Andrew wallace hadrill is head of the Herculaneum Conservation Project. His mission, to
3: preserve the site's treasures and unravel its unique story. Compared to Pompeii, Herculaneum is a tiny little town. It's only about 4,000 inhabitants, which in our terms is only a, a, a big village. But uh, it had all the, uh, all the features of a major city. When Vesuvius erupted, it trapped Herculaneum
2: in time. In 79 AD, it was at the center of an empire in its prime. Rome had conquered the entire Mediterranean. Dominions stretched from Britain to Jerusalem. Today, the site offers a unique window into an ancient world.
3: Herculaneum special for me is that you have probably a better chance than anywhere else in the ancient world of piecing together an entire ancient society. We can talk about their diet, we have their houses, we can talk about how they lived, how they made their money. We can see so many different aspects in great detail and then put them all together to make a society.
2: Working in areas unseen by the public, Andrew and a team of dedicated scientists and archaeologists are building a picture of life and death in Herculaneum, more detailed than they ever could have done working alone. Together, they are overturning long-held beliefs about how people died in the eruption and discovering the town's demise was spectacular and gruesome, even compared to Pompeii. The way Herculaneum was buried means it is also even better preserved than its more famous neighbour. But worryingly for the team, it's extremely vulnerable.
3: When we first came on site, we noticed that there was decay and collapse virtually everywhere. And we started a site-wide campaign. Really running around, propping up stuff that we thought was in a critical condition before it actually fell to pieces. A site that's already been once destroyed by volcanic action is incredibly fragile. Everything that makes Herculaneum precious also makes it fragile.
2: Cocooned for centuries beneath volcanic debris, Herculaneum grows more and more unstable as it's uncovered. After years of neglect, the team raced to conserve the site before the town's priceless artefacts are lost forever.
3: There still are frescoes falling off the walls everywhere. Mosaic floors were exploding with little mosaic pebbles spread all over the place.
2: Cocooned for centuries beneath volcanic debris, Herculaneum grows more and more unstable as it's uncovered. After years of neglect, the team raced to conserve the site before the town's priceless artifacts are
3: lost forever.
1: Looks like Da Vinci... There still
3: are frescoes falling off the walls everywhere. Mosaic floors were exploding with little mosaic pebbles spread all over the place. Wooden beams, wooden beams are some really rare features of this site. It's extraordinary to see a wooden beam above a door or wooden shutters outside windows, and yet they were crumbling away.
1: Preserving
2: Herculaneum and uncovering its remarkable secrets has never been more pressing, but the potential for discoveries is amazing. Tantalizingly for Andrew, much of the site still lies perfectly preserved underground. Only a fraction of the town has been excavated. Modern Italians have been drawn to the mountain and built a city on top of the rest. Today, 650,000 people choose to live precariously in the shadow of
4: Vesuvius. find settlements in volcanoes. I've been there. The soil that volcanoes right now, produce rich in nutrients, nutrients, minerals, it retains water like a sponge. So therefore it stands to reason that when they plant their crops, they get fantastic food from it. And that's why they sit on the side of these volcanoes. Today,
2: miles of vines and greenhouses cover the fertile ground. Tens of thousands of people ignore the risk of living on an active volcano. But the Romans had no idea they were in danger.
4: You have to bear in mind that volcanology wasn't a subject in those days. No one knew when they looked at the rock strata that, oh, yeah, there's been an eruption in this area. So people didn't know that Vesuvius was actually going to blow.
2: The Romans didn't even know their mountain was a volcano. Most of the time, Vesuvius lies deceptively dormant, but deep below ground, the very fabric of the earth is on the move. Through a weak spot in the earth's crust, molten rock called magma seeps into a massive chamber that stretches for miles beneath Herculaneum and Pompeii. In 79 AD,
3: the chamber was full to bursting point. They had no idea of the degree of the danger. They even had warnings of of the oncoming danger. We now know that the earthquake, 17 years before the eruption, was a precursor to the eruption. They couldn't read it like that. People were well aware of earthquakes as a source of danger. And traditionally, they saw them as the result of the wrath of Poseidon, the wrath of the sea god, or something like that.
2: By August 79 AD, there were signs Vesuvius was heaving to life.
4: What happens is the magma is trying to get to the surface, it's accommodating the space, and you get fractures opening. But when you really start to know that something's happening is that in front of that magma there's lots of steam. It's very, very hot, lots of gases. So those would have been bending first. The pressure is building up and building up until eventually it just snaps.
2: Erupted around 1 p.m., throwing a broiling, churning column of gas and ash high into the air.
4: Now, this ash column would have been gigantic. I mean, if you were down in Pompeii, even that far back, you wouldn't see off the top of it, you wouldn't see around the sides of it. It's millions and millions of tonnes of volcanic debris that's thrown up into the air.
2: Within minutes,